what I find happening is that people shift back and forth in their perception of the church. And I find this all the time when people will come up and say to me, well, the church should and fill in the blank. Right. And you know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, let's talk about this. Let's do this. Da, 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 da. Now I say, oh, so God wants you to do that. No, no, I think the church did that. I go, you know, you're the church. Right. There's not a collective thing out there, <laughs> right? The church, you're the church. Right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. Your journey of faith is not something that you can uber eats your way out of you have to do the work you cannot call uber to tr come and do the work for you um it is a journey you have to go along your own way but we can come alongside you to encourage you challenge you tell you some funny jokes along the way but most of all teach you how to critically think for yourself so that when you are asked why you believe what you believe you can answer that question yeah, with yes. confidence my name is jesse mayor i will be your host and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the one, the only <laughs> Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas. Yeah, Peak. and that's that uh, Salty Pastor is becoming a reality, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. So new things in development. So hopefully everyone will be excited about those things down the road. It's good to be with you, everybody. And I'm glad that you're here today joining me as we continue to dig into this whole notion of Jesus, the church and politics, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're in our series, My Political Jesus. My and Political it seems Jesus. We're making quite the stir. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've seen lots of people mostly just positive about it. But mm -hmm. um, even this morning, we were having a meeting with one of the, the members of the congregation, and he was talking about, oh man, I'm just so fired up about this, and I can't believe you're how brave you are to tackle mm, this yeah. <laughs> scenario. He's like, there's a lot of churches that would just walk away from it and not want to engage. But instead yeah. you are taking a stand and saying, this is what the Bible says and what we need to be doing as people. So yeah, um, I think I it's think, good. Yeah. I think it's just ultimately going to be a really awesome series that people are going to be talking about for a long time to come. And last week we discussed the mission of the church in politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I want to know <laughs> if the church's mission is one thing we delineated on our first week, yes. that there's a difference between the church and the individual. What is my job pastor? <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? Well, the question, what is my responsibility as a follower of Jesus when it comes to political involvement? And I think I wanted to break them down into two questions because they're both sides of one coin. And that is as an individual, you're a member of the church and uh, the church is only made up of individual people, uh, the church is seen through the eyes of Christ and the New Testament writers as a bride, right? To be delivered to him. Right. So we are all bound together in one community through faith in Jesus Christ, redeemed by his blood, but we're also all individuals mm. in it. And so what I find happening is that people shift back and forth in their perception of the church. And I find this all the time when people will come up and say to me, well, the church should and fill in the blank. Right. And you know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, let's talk about this. Let's do this. Da, 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 da. Now I say, oh, so God wants you to do that. No, no. I think the church did that. I go, you know, you're the church, right? There's not a collective thing out there, <laughs> right? The church, 
you're the church. Right. <laughs> so um, people have been uh, sharing their ideas with me less and less when I it's started doing that. that <laughs> yeah, what's that about? I must be unapproachable. But uh, the question is, how politically active should you be? And what would you expect the leadership of your church? Okay, that's a little bit different than just the church. The leadership of your church, what do you expect them to do? And that's what I addressed last week. Mm-hmm. And then now, what's my role? What is my leadership of my church? church expecting me to do, right? right? Because if the leadership of the church is following God, then the leadership of the church should have expectations on me if I want to grow. You know, it's like uh, you go down to a football uh, team, whether it be in high school or it be in college or professional, you know, you show up on the first day and you're just like, okay, what do the coaches expect? There's expectations. Right. And if there's no expectations, there's no winning. Mm. And so nobody's, you know, it falls apart. So it's really important to understand what are the expectations. And so we always go to the biblical passages first because the leadership of your church can't expect you to do things, right? Or lay expectations on you that are not biblical. Right. Right. Isn't that critically important? Yes, very. So the first one is a primary source text is when Jesus talks about the difference between the kingdom of God and an earthly kingdom kingdom, which is Rome at the time, led by Caesar in Matthew chapter 22. So it's really interesting because guess what? The Pharisees who belonged to two political entities, the first political entity was they were citizen. They weren't official citizens of Rome, but they were ruled by Rome. Okay. So Rome had authority over them as a government authority, but they were a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the political authority over the Jewish people. And so they had some political authority under the appointed Tetrarch, which was Herod and the governor. So it's kind of an odd arrangement. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. But the Pharisees came to trap Jesus. Listen, verse 15 of chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, who are the Herodians? The Herodians were people who were loyal to Herod the king, which was made the king of the Jews by the Romans because the Herod, King Herod, the father, put down the Maccabean revolt with mercenaries on behalf of Rome. And then so Rome paid him a bunch of money for doing that and then said, what do you want? He says, I'm going to be named king of the Jews. So they said, okay, so you're now the king of the Jews. And You have to understand how Rome worked. And that is what Rome cared about more than anything else was money. That was taxes. So unlike uh, the Greek empire and some of the Assyrian empires that came before them, they learned something very important. And that is we don't want to go in and impose all of our way of doing things on you. What we want to do is we want to come in and we want to conquer you, but we want you to remain as productive as possible, Mm. right? So that we can tax you and get more money from you. That was kind of their economic model. So what happens is they would come in and they say, we don't want to overthrow your king. We just want your king to be loyal to us, swear fealty to us. We don't want to overthrow your Jewish uh, Sanhedrin that rules the people. We just want them to be loyal to us and collect taxes on our behalf. And that's why Levi, one of the apostles, was despised. Zacchaeus in the New Testament was despised because they were Jews who were collecting taxes on behalf of Rome. And so... Pure Jews, zealots, saw them as traitors to their 
their Jewishness, so to speak. Okay. So, so just, I'm saying all this because you need to understand that that first introduction shows you how tense this political situation is. Mm. You've got Romans, you've got Pharisees and Herodians. And so they come to him and they say, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. So they're trying to set them up. They're not just being flattery. What they're doing is they're saying, okay, we're going to test you with this question that either requires you to undermine your integrity, right? Or swear felty to Rome, because if you ever say, don't pay your taxes or rebel against Rome, guess what? You, that's sedition, and Rome took a very dim view of that. They probably kill you. Yeah, they kill you. And uh, But then there's the Herodians, and then there's the Jews. So then the Pharisees could say, oh, don't follow him. He's loyal to the Rome. And so it's a very politically difficult situation they're trying to put him in. Of course, it doesn't work. Verse 17, tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Well, Jesus knew their evil intent. He knew it right off the bat. And so he says, you are a hypocrite. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius and he asked him, whose image is this? Whose inscription? And they reply, it's Caesar's, right? So all the coinage was Rome, it was minted by Rome, and it had the picture of the Caesar, the Roman emperor on it, right? And then his uh, sigil, S-I-G-I-L on the back, right? Or whatever his sign was. Okay. And so uh, that's what he would put on the back. And so he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. The key principle here, I think, is really interesting, is that governing authorities in God's kingdom and its authority are different. So that's one thing he says. In a very simple phrase, what he's saying is these are different things. Okay. Sometimes they align and sometimes they don't. All right. And so what he's basically saying is that ultimately you as a follower of Jesus should make God's kingdom, your primary allegiance. That's the first thing I think wisdom dictates that when you make Jesus, the primary allegiance of your heart, it allows you to discern when the governing authorities align with the kingdom priorities Mm. and then they move forward. That's how you become wise. And that helps, you know, and answer the question, what should I do in this political situation? Right. So, I mean, I was kind of hoping after this whole story that, you know, maybe I know you were going to say, say yeah. we didn't have to pay taxes, yeah. Pastor Doug, but yeah. I don't feel like that's what you set me up for. So. Uh, no, I didn't set you up for that one. Well, the next one I think is really important because it kind of addresses that a little bit. Listen to what Paul said in the second primary source text is Romans chapter 13. You have to remember, Paul is writing to the Romans. So this is the church in Rome, right? In the church at Rome, it's very important to understand is that initially it was made up with predominantly Jews and then Gentiles, but a lot of Jews had a very strong uh, nationalistic identity. And do you remember uh, at the uh, Garden of Gethsemane when the high priests came with the Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus? Do you remember that? What did yes. Peter do? He pulls out a sword and what and does he, he do? Off the ear. Yeah, he, he attacks because he's thinking, aha, now 
the king, every time Jesus said the kingdom of God in Peter's mind, you know what he heard? Kingdom here on earth, and I'm going to be a ruler in it. I'm going to be yeah. big head honcho here. <laughs> I'm going to be head. And Jesus saying, no, you misunderstand. Jews were very much uh, had combined the notion of an earthly kingdom with the covenant, and it was all about the land. That's why you had Sadducees. And Sadducees made up, they were Pharisees as well. Uh, there were Sadducees and Pharisees that made up the Sanhedrin, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees argued with each other because the Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. Okay. They didn't believe in that. They believed that you followed the covenant of God in order for your earthly kingdom to be established. And that was it. There was no afterlife. Okay. Isn't that interesting? That is and yet interesting. what happened here, I think is really important is listen to what is that these people were in the church. And so they were like, ah, the Messiah is here and the Messiah is going to let us overthrow Rome. Okay. So Paul is writing to them. And if you read the first 12 chapters of Rome, you see that he's talking about the kingdom of God. And then he gets here and he says, look, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. So God's established all authorities, right? This flows out of the notion of God's kingdom. All authority, Jesus said, for the mission of the church has been given unto me here on heaven and on earth to go, therefore, and make disciples. So authority can't be exercised without it fitting within God's, okay, established order. Consequently, verse two, he says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free uh, from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Mm -hmm. They're God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This, verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. Pastor Doug. <laughs> <laughs> For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everything, everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Remember, the context is everything. The Jews uh, had a nationalistic view of the Messiah. And what they were thinking is that, oh, since Jesus started the church, the church is going to rise up and it's going to rule the world in the name of the Messiah. And Gentiles can be a part of this too now. And this, these revolutionary elements were so vocal, as a matter of fact, prior to the writing of this, is that the Jews had been ejected from Rome. Okay. Okay. And you see this in the book of Acts when Paul is talking, he meets uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and they were cast out, banished from Rome, and then he runs into them in another town later. So the Jews were cast out, not because all Jews felt this way, particularly Christian Jews, but there were some. They were a very, very powerful element. The other place that these Jews caused problems in the first century church is they were called Judaizers, and they were saying to people, well, if you want to follow the Messiah and be a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to become a Jew first. Right. You got to follow the all yeah. of our old customs and traditions. Yeah. And if you want to know how Paul felt about that, read the book of Galatians, because <laughs> he calls them dirty dogs. 
<laughs> he, gets, he gets salty. He gets pretty salty pretty quick. So I think it's really important to understand the context in which he's writing this. And then it starts to, you start to understand it a little bit better. I think one thing I've learned is that I often read things in the Bible and they come across a certain way. Uh, but then I read it a number of times and it starts to hit different. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, this sounds like, you know, I have to do whatever the government says. If I read this, it's like, okay, yeah. I've got to do what the government says. The Bible says so. It's biblical, right? But then the more I read it, it seems to be saying something maybe a little different than yeah. my first impression. I think mm-hmm. about the word subject and what that actually means. Yes. Um, what if the government demands that I do something completely immoral? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, genocide a whole group <laughs> of people, Yeah. for example. Yes. I know there's an actual principle in the military code of conduct that states a soldier doesn't even doesn't have to obey an unlawful order right right? yeah um so how does that principle apply here well i think it's very important to see what paul's saying he's not saying he is not saying that the governing rulers are always god's hand or agents of god's will right he says at times they are they are a servant right right so well what are they servants of well they're servants for your good well what good is he referring to he's referring to social order in other words you know uh revolution anarchy all this stuff is bad for everybody right Right. he's not saying that they are ministers of the kingdom of god he's not saying that and then the more you read it the you you start to see how he differentiates that's so that's really important to understand he says uh the church is in that role god's manifold wisdom Okay, it comes through the church. However, he does state if you rebel against this order, you're going to bring down judgment on yourself, meaning the governing authorities are going to punish you. Okay. And the Romans would kill you for that. Okay. And what's interesting is I think that this became an issue later on when Nero started persecuting the Christians just because they were Christians, not because they'd done anything wrong. I think Paul's point is pretty clear, and that is the point of the kingdom of God is not a political revolution, which is a Charlemagne option. Remember that is that, oh, we're Christians. We need to go in. We need to overthrow the whatever government there is and then impose this Christian government on top of it. And he's saying, no, you can't use Christianity like the the Jewish Christians with nationalistic zeal thought, oh, I'm going to use Christianity to justify a revolution of throw overthrow every government. Mm. And he's saying, no, you can't do that. God's not intent was not for that to occur. That doesn't mean that governments are immoral, godless, and bad and need to be changed. He's not really even addressing that particular issue. So I I think this is really important because if you look at the next passage, it's a primary source text is Titus chapter three, verse one, Paul says the following words, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And so notice what he's saying is don't be, be ready to follow the government and whatever it's doing good, you should be eager to do that. Mm. You can't just say, well, I'm a Christian and I hate the government, so I can't, I'm not doing anything. Right. I don't have to pay my taxes, you know? Uh, no. 
that's not Christianity, right? Um, there's some people in the name of Christianity, uh, they call them free citizens and they say, I'm not subject to laws or I don't have to have a driver's license to drive. They, they, uh, will raise a standard or a flag on their property and then they won't pay taxes and, and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, you know, in God, I trust and stuff like that. I say, okay, you're kind of nutty because you don't really understand the biblical teaching on this case. Right. right? Um, and we'll get to why our country is so unique in just a moment. He goes on to say this verse two slander, no one and be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. So, I mean, really what this segment, um, has been talking about is really, you kind of put it into words already, but just to reiterate, we're talking about there's, this is not an appropriate use of faith to just go around and overthrow governments just because yeah. you don't agree with everything they're doing. Right. That, we're not a Christian jihad. Yeah. That is not how this works. And that's not what Jesus calls us to do. So mm -hmm. it's, it's important for us to be clear about that, that it is not a biblical statement for you to be like, well, I don't agree with them. So I'm going to just go with, Burn it all down. <laughs> Jesus told me to overthrow the government. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very correct. Anarchy is worse. It's worse than anything, uh, than even immoral governments. You know, that was kind of a debate. And that is, is that when they overthrew the immoral government in Iraq under Saddam Hussein, you know, did that improve things or make things worse? Actually, what it did for Christians in particular, it made it worse. Mm. And that was really interesting. So, uh, so I think that that's a debate, you know, that needs to happen. Anarchy is even worse than an immoral government. Remember what Nero was doing in the first century Christians. And even when he was persecuting Christians, the apostle Peter knew this. Peter wrote in his letter to the church in chapter two, verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who are doing right. And then he goes on to say, look, there's no benefit in suffering for doing wrong, but we're suffering for godliness. We're suffering for righteousness and we should deem that is a blessing and commendable unto God. So even if you disagree with it, there needs to be a proper respect for the governing authorities. Authentic Christianity is not a basis for rationalizing every attempt to overthrow government. You see this a lot in Africa today. A lot of people are not aware of what's going on kind of in the middle part of Africa, the, the, that temperate zone with all of the jungles and everything like that. You have all of these little armies running around. You have, you know, God's Christian army and the Christian angelic army. And it's all these little dictators that set up, they put a Christian name on it. And then they run around saying, Hey, we are here to set free. They, these are the people who, um, uh, they prescript, uh, children and turn them into killers. I mean, they're doing horrible things and they call themselves, you know, the God's holy army and things of this nature. It's just really, really crazy. And mm. that's because there's, it's completely illiterate about what Paul and Jesus actually taught about government. Is there progress? Yes. Is there change? We've seen that the Western civilization changes. As a matter of fact, the greatest historical account is that Christianity took over Rome, totally changed Rome without ever once picking up the sword, mm. totally transformed it. 
and all the values of Christianity by the fourth century were in Rome as the predominant cultural values. So I think that, you know, if, if Jesus said it the best, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. So if you want to use your sword to solve every problem, then probably you're going to eventually die by it. Right. So I guess here's my question as we're wrapping up today, Pastor Doug. I'm a citizen of the United States of America Mm -hmm. and a follower of Jesus. Yes. How do I exactly show proper respect for the government? Oh, let's get specific. Well, the first thing is this, is the ruling authority that you are called to submit to in 1 Peter, in Titus, and in Romans 13 is the United States Constitution. Okay. Right? Earlier, you referenced, you know, soldiers' right to refuse an unlawful order. You know what makes that possible? Hmm. Is that a soldier does not take a vow to follow every order, no matter what. The vow that every soldier takes is to defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Which is interesting, you see, and that's how you can say, I am not allowed to just commit, you know, genocidal craziness because the Constitution does not allow that. And so that's very important. There was a big case in Vietnam where this uh, captain went in and or lieutenant, I can't remember, lieutenant captain. He went into a village and he told his soldiers, all of his privates to round up 300 Vietnamese people. They were civilians mm-hmm. and, and they mowed them all down. They killed them all. And then he was brought to, you know, court and he was court-martialed and he said, look, I was just following orders. You know, my commanding officer, I got on the radio. He says, go in there. There's nothing but Viet Cong enemy in there. So go in there and kill them all. And so he goes in there and then he calls back and says, Hey, there's, there's civilians here, unarmed people. And then his claim was, is the person said, well, just waste them, you Mm -hmm. know? Well, even though the commanding officer said that to him, he was still charged and he was uh, convicted of 22 counts of murder. And he was uh, not only discharged, but then he went to Leavenworth and spent the rest of his life there. Mm. And the reason why is because it doesn't matter, you know, for a fact, it was an unlawful order and you did it anyway. Right. Uh, because, so you see, that's really important to understand. The constitution is our authority. The constitution of the United States is the governing authority. The president of the United States is not the governing authority. The president of the United States has no intrinsic authority. None. The senators have no intrinsic authority. Representatives have no intrinsic authority. If a senator were to walk down the street and say, you must do this because I'm a senator, whether it be state, local, federal, you could say no. Right. Because they have no intrinsic authority. The only authority they have is when they follow the Constitution, right? They propose a bill. They debate the bill. They vote on the bill. Both houses reconcile the bill. It goes to the president's desk. It's signed. Then that bill has authority. Why? Because it's an extension of the authority of the constitution of the United States. This is why all of our elected officials are elected Mm. to carry out the constitution. So 
our founding fathers require every citizen to participate. Therefore, if you're not voting and if you're not educating yourself, at least on a basic level, then you're not submitting to the governing authority of the United States of America. You are not walking in alignment with Romans 13 and first Peter and Titus, all of those passages. Um, I remember a guy, I mean, being a pastor for a long time, I remember a guy I knew and he, he was kind of outspoken politically. And his big thing is I never vote. I don't vote because it's a waste of my time and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, it is kind of a civic duty. And his point was, well, I don't care. And then I always thought how interesting is that we're to submit to the governing authority. What's the governing authority, the constitution of the United States. And what did our founding fathers say who wrote the constitution of the United States? Well, Thomas Jefferson in his letter to Edward Carrington on January 16th, 1787 said the following cherish therefore the spirit of our people and keep alive their attention. If once they become inattentive to the public affairs, you and I and Congress and assemblies, judges and governors shall become wolves. Mm. It seems to be the law of our general nature. So when we as Christians ignore politics, when we ignore our involvement, guess what? Our governing authorities become wolves. And I think a lot of people would agree that that's what's happened you know, people who think that they can just sign executive orders and change laws. It's just insane. Right. Um, the violation of the Constitution of the United States of America. James Wilson wrote, he, he signed the Declaration of Independence. He signed the Constitution as well. And he said this, need I infer it is the duty of every citizen to use his best and most unremitting endeavors for preserving the constitution to be pure, healthful, and vigorous for the accomplishment of this great purpose. The exertions of no one citizen are unimportant. Let no one therefore harbor for a moment the bad or mean idea that he is and can be of no value to his country. So we as Christians should follow and give proper respect to the constitution of the United States. And we should be involved politically. You see, we should in a way that is respectful, right? Right. Should make our ideas known. We should vote. We should participate in the process. But I know a lot of Christians who've grown up saying, oh, I don't want politics is so divisive, you know? And, and on one level, I get that. I get that. It's like saying some people like, well, I don't want to go play football. You know, I don't want to go out in the park and play football with all those football guys because they'll tackle me. Yeah, they'll tackle me and kill me and rub <laughs> my face in the ground. Yeah, they will. You know, you don't want to play, you don't want to play pickup football with the big boys because right. they're going to knock you, right? Why? Because you're playing football. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize this, you know. Um, but even when you watch football on TV, if you go to a live football game, but when you get down on the sideline and you see like collegiate and professional football, 
It is a brutal game. Mm. This is why the injury report is such a big deal. You know, part of winning the Super Bowl is trying to stay healthy, healthy through to get, yeah, to, the to, get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it's like a modern day form of warfare in, in a lot of ways. And yet, and I know people say, oh, I don't, I'd never want to play that. And you view politics that way because politics is a blood sport in America. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like there's no rules. They just kind of do whatever they can to destroy you. But we can't run and cower in fear we must, Jesus says through Paul, the apostle, we need to uh, show proper respect. Peter says you must submit to the governing authority. The constitution says every citizen must use his best and most unremitting endeavor to participate. John Adams wrote our obligations to our country never cease, but with the end of our lives. We ought to do all that we can. These are the people who wrote the constitution. Right. And, you know, it's important to understand that Thomas Jefferson wrote another letter. Lethargy, meaning laziness, mm -hmm. is the forerunner of death to public liberty. So our freedoms will be lost. Our liberty will be lost. Our constitution will be lost. Our form of government will be lost if we don't participate. And so I think that's important to understand that that's what the Bible is specifically teaching. And I think we as followers of Christ need to take it seriously. Well, Pastor, I just really appreciate you taking some time to guide us through the biblical principles, going through this Bible study to really see what the Bible says about what we should be doing as individuals. Um, I think the idea of what we are supposed to be doing has really been co-opted by a lot of politicians, and yes. they want to whip us into a frenzy and say, well, the Bible says you're supposed to do blank. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Most of the time, they haven't even read They're the wrong. Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> they yes. just Google the verse that happens to align yes. with that out of context version that they want, <laughs> what they want. Say. So I think it's really important that we understand that. I can't wait till Thursday to find out what you have to say about our application. Of oh, what we're going to be super like. salty. So excited about that. So hope you guys are excited as well. Please join us on Thursday for another episode of the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings on you.